Would you stretch out your hands as we pray for Davi and as he delivers the word. Father, thank you for Davi. Thank you for who he is and how he faithfully serves you. And I pray, Father, for the word that you have placed on his heart to share with us this evening, that our hearts would receive it, Lord, um, as directly from you. And so I pray that the words of Darby's mouth and mouth and the meditations of his heart would be pleasing in your sight this evening as he shares the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Darby. Amen. I can agree with that. Good. Sure, sure, not so somber. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I know I sometimes do get serious about things, but uh, okay, let me maybe not say that, you know, sometimes. Uh, so I always love about talking about following Jesus. I mean, that's what life is all about. And uh, we want to look a little bit at that tonight. But before you came through those doors tonight, or I guess the reason you came through those doors tonight is because you already have an idea of what it means to follow Jesus. I suppose included in that idea is regular church attendance. I think on some level you expect maybe Jesus would like you to, you know, come and spend some time with the believers. Maybe you've believers, no, not Justin Bieber. Um, believers, um, and uh, you know, maybe you've read a bit of your Bible as well, and the Scripture speaks about the fact that we must not neglect, you know, meeting together. But I think the point I want to make is, and I want to talk a little bit from our own life experience um, before I get into my message, is you have an idea of Jesus. Jesus is somebody to you. You know, you met Him at some point in your life. You got introduced to Him at some point in your life. I don't know how I don't know where, I don't know what the exact nature of those circumstances were, but I'm sure it formulated the view you have of Jesus today and probably your level of engagement with Him. Now, if you were like me, um, I grew up in a Christian home, you know, I went to church before I had a choice about, wait, mom, can I just philosophically consider whether there is a God and whether that God is Jesus, you know? No, I mean, at three, four, I was going to Sunday school and I was learning about Noah and about what Jesus had done for me. And I mean, that continued, you know, throughout my life. You know, I went to, G uh, to Jesus and to church regularly. And so growing up in, 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 in church, you know, you are very familiar with Jesus. And I don't know, whenever we come familiar with things, it can become a hindrance to us. But I must say, um, during my high school time and sort of when you can start thinking about things a little bit more abstractly, um, the idea I had of Jesus was, was very, very narrow-minded, in my opinion, as I reflect back. So as Christians, we focus a lot on the cross. And I've preached about this sometimes a little bit, and, and there's no problem with this because the, the cross is, is key. But my understanding of Jesus was quite limited to this person that died on the cross for me. And what that does is whenever we talk about the cross, we generally talk about the fact that Jesus took, took our sins on Him. Now, though it's wonderful that Jesus took His sins on Him, I'm still left focusing on my sins. So just to break it down, my basic understanding of Jesus before um, I came to Europe, your life, that was, we are really bad, okay? And we regularly mess things up. Jesus looked down at us from heaven and went, somebody's going to have to fix this mess, okay? So I almost had this view of Jesus that he sort of reluctantly 
came from heaven down to earth because there was nobody else that could do the job. And second to that, okay, so Jesus wanted me to be very sorry for my sins and accept him and get my ticket to heaven. And then secondly, Jesus wanted me to be a good boy and, and then I'm sorted. So that, that, that was the beginning and end of Christianity for me. Give your life to Jesus and be a good boy and that's it. Voila. Good job. That was my idea. I wonder what your idea has been about Jesus. I wonder what your idea is today about Jesus. Because I remember when I started to read the scriptures for myself, my mind was literally blown away. Because all of a sudden, I saw Jesus in a way that I had never seen him before. As a political revolutionary, as somebody that was not hindered by any social obstacle, that spoke to women in ways that nobody else did, that spoke to religious leaders in a way that nobody else did, that did everything the way nobody else did it, said the most craziest things in the world. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels properly, but when I read the Gospels, and I read what Jesus says, I am continually, chapter after chapter, going, what is he saying here? You know, especially Jesus' parables, and many, many of the things that Jesus says really has me thinking. And so I wonder how, what your view of Jesus is. Is it like this, or is it like this? Are you every day of your life looking to learn more about Jesus? Because what I realized is that my limited perspective of Jesus was limiting my intimacy and relationship with Him. So as I speak tonight, even if you listen to nothing else I said this evening, if you leave this venue tonight, looking for a fresh and new understanding of Jesus, you're going to do well, I guarantee you. One of the things that really intrigued me about Jesus is that he says a lot of upside-down things. And I mean by upside-down things is he has a lot of paradoxical sayings, and we're going to look at that a little bit more um, later tonight. But we're busy with the up-in-and-out triangle, and you guys have been familiarized with the up-in-and-out triangle, and how we use the up, in, and triangle to quickly assess how various parts of our lives are doing. My relationship with God, my relationship with the church, and my relationship with the outside community. Now tonight I want to spend a little bit of time looking at the interconnected dynamic relationship between the up, in, and out. And so the title of my message tonight is, this is a bit lengthy, you can go to the next time. The way out is in, and the way up is down. And so we have these three things, and I have a little picture of a table here, uh, a, a three-legged, like artsy-fartsy table. It's quite cool. That's why I picked it. But, but if we think about these, and now, no, that's four legs, sorry. If you think about this three-legged table, and you think about each of the legs being an in or an up or out dynamic. 
The table is no longer a table if I remove one of the legs. It's like a, maybe a seesaw or slide or something like that. So what is very important that we see how we cannot have the up without the in. And we cannot have the in without the out. Scripture actually says about this. It speaks about somebody that loves God but hates his brother. The Scripture says this is nonsense. How can, how can you do this? You're a liar. You don't love God. The Scripture speaks about how can you have faith without works. It's the whole in business and the out business connected to the in business. So when I read Scripture, I see the up, in, and out intricately connected. There's no reality in which you can go, no, but I'm just focusing on my relationship with God. Maybe in a season, maybe there can be more revelation there for you. But you cannot be in relationship with God without loving the members in the church and without loving your neighbor. You can't love your neighbor properly without loving God and being a part of a community. So there's a very intricate, dynamic relationship between the I almost said four corners of the triangle. <laughs> the, the three corners of the triangle. If you are, and this is part of my message tonight, if you are doing the up properly, it should precipitate that you do the in properly. And if you are doing the up and the in properly, it should only mean that you are doing the out properly. How can you be filled with the love of God for yourself and not love the person next to you? I would seriously question whether it was the love of God that you received if there's not a desire for you to love beyond yourself. So, I don't know if you are familiar with what a paradox is. Can you think of an example of what a paradox is? I'll help you out. That's why I'm here. Thank you. Um, so, I don't know if you've ever heard the saying, less is more. Does that make any sense? Well, it does. In, in certain circumstances, less can be more. You know, if we think about medicine or we think about business, you know, more is not always better. That's a paradoxical statement. A statement that at the same time, has two opposite ends, but both opposite ends are true. I don't know if you've read Jesus. He loves paradoxical statements. He makes them over and over again just to mess with our heads. Have you ever heard Jesus say the way up is down? Jesus' leadership model is if you want to be the greatest, then be the least. Sounds rather paradoxical to me. What is he saying? Then in other parts of the Bible, he says crazy things like he tells a parable about servants working and the master paying all the servants different rates, and then he finishes the parable with, and the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And we're going, what, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. Come again? I mean, have you read those parables and you read, have you read those scriptures and gone, yeah, 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 I get this, no problem. I don't know about you, I'd like to learn from you then because I read portions of my Bible and I go, Jesus, 
It sounds impressive. And I could repeat it in a sermon and also sound impressive. But do I really know what it means? <laughs> I'm not so, so sure. And I'd like to help you and maybe help myself a little bit by using an illustration to help you understand what paradoxes are to me. I don't know who of you have seen optical illusions. I love optical illusions. Who likes? Okay, I have a few people in the house. Who of you have no idea what the optical illusion is? Okay, good. So that's fine then. We should be okay. So I just want to show you an image of an optical illusion. Now, some of you, if you're clever, you know I was going to show you an optical illusion. So you were already looking for two things. But if some of you had not seen this optical illusion, you might have immediately seen the cup. Okay? Or some of you might have seen two faces looking at each other. Okay? Let's show you another one. Okay? Now, this, this one's interesting, right? If you haven't seen it before. If you have experience in it, it's easier to see it. But there are two sort of realities in the image. There are two things in the image that is true at the same time. Depending on the angle you look from, one is true and then the other. Now, if you're not seeing the old lady, then just imagine the line on the young lady's neck being the old lady's mouth. Everybody seeing it? Aha, we're having some aha moments here. So the, the, the young lady is looking away. She's not interested in us. The old lady has got a, like a big fat chin and, chin and a big fat nose. And uh, yeah, she's got her mouth. Do you, do you see it? Wonderful, wonderful. So for me, there's one more I'd like to show you that also illustrates it for me. So, so in optical illusions, I feel part of Jesus' paradoxical sayings are captured. Because Jesus says something that is of opposite ends, but yet true at the same time. And we, you would make the mistake to say it's this or it's that. I sometimes imagine that we in the church get, get caught up in the wrong way when we look at optical illusions. I wonder if we're looking at the tapestry of God's creation, and it's almost like an optical illusion, and one denomination says, no, we've got it. It's here. We can see the cup. And another denomination says, no, 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 it's faces, man. Can't you see it's faces? You know, and if we look at that one with the Spanish men, you know, the old men and the Spanish men and an old lady and an old man and a cup, you know, I wonder sometimes, you know, and this is maybe a little bit of a sidetrack, but, but there's always more to what Jesus is saying. But the thing with an optical illusion is, is that you have to look carefully. You have to look intently and you have to look with an open mind. And I wonder if you've looked like that at Jesus' statements, because he says some very paradoxical things. And I'd like to look at a scripture I believe uh, Pastor Louis has looked at with you as well. But if he hasn't, here it comes. And it is in Mark 8, 34 to 38. 
Now, I'm reading from the message. I know some people do not consider that the word, um, but that's fine. You can, we just read it as a commentary there. Okay. So, Jesus calling the crowd to join his disciples. He said, anyone who attends to come with me. And that's all of you. And unless you're still thinking about the whole Jesus and where he's going thing. That's fine. Welcome. You're in the right place. Um, has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to saving yourself. Your true self. Do you know what Jesus is saying? And if you know what Jesus is saying, how does that look in your life? If I had to invite you up to the front to come and share a story with us about how you have lost yourself and found yourself at the same time in Christ, how would that story go? Because this is a paradoxical thing. We live in a world where self-help is the help. We live in a world where we try to avoid sacrifice by whatever means we can. <laughs> I, I, it was so strange when I read this for myself. Because I had a sense that we read these passages in church, but we, are, we don't get it. Like, like it's strange. Maybe it's because we're familiar to it, but, but do you know how crazy this sounds? Who runs towards suffering? How many of you in the last week ran towards suffering? Okay. Hello? Am I talking to... This is Adfield Christian Church, eh? Right place. You believe in the Bible. We're reading the Bible together. Jesus says, if you want to find yourself, you must lose yourself. If I had to give you an opportunity this week to explain it to one of your friends at work, one of your friends that were maybe interested in the Bible, and he comes across this passage, and at coffee, he goes, you know what? This guy you say you love, he says some crazy, and maybe he uses an expletive, you know, but you're cool with that, because that's fine, you know, um, he says he say some crazy things. Can you, can you tell me what does this Jesus of yours mean when he says you must lose yourself in order to find yourself? How would you do? I'm not going to be there. <laughs> Are you going to just say, yeah, yeah, no, we spoke about it in church. Uh, yes, the SoundCloud link. You know? I don't know, but somebody knows, and I can put you in touch. <laughs> but you are a follower of Jesus. You must not only comprehend Jesus' paradoxical sayings, you must embody it. We are the ones that must live it out in everyday life. How does this look for us? How does it look to lose yourself? And then to find 
yourself again. The scripture continues, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? Isn't that almost sort of like a prophetic statement? How many stories do you know of, of people who've chased riches, fame, and pleasure their entire life, and when they arrive at riches, fame, and pleasure, they are more confused than they ever were before. I think about Steve Jobs. I think that thing circulated on social media a lot when he speaks at the end of his life. I think about people like Justin Bieber or Amy Winehouse or Christina Aguilera or Britney Spears who are people who have everything that everybody else desires but yet they are are completely confused about who they are. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, when you walked in that door, you have a strategy for how you are going to discover what your purpose is on planet Earth. And when you walk through that door, your strategy was either a worldly strategy or it was a kingdom one. But I guarantee you, you grew up in a world where the worldly strategy and the kingdom strategy sometimes becomes very, very mixed up. And we might sit in church and preach the philosophy of the world with a Jesus sticker on it. We preach self-help with a Jesus sticker on it. But Jesus says self-help is no help at all. I'm not saying there's no value in it, but I'm saying, do we comprehend what Jesus is saying? What is your strategy for discovering yourself? What is it that you want? And we've spoken, if you've, if you've heard me speak before, I often speak of desire. What is it that you desire? Because Jesus says that his kingdom lies in resisting the default desire that we have and accepting the heavenly desire that he has placed with in us. I can tell you now, my default desire is not to run towards suffering. And I suspect if it was your default desire, then there might be a problem, okay? Because it's not instinctually what we should want. But that's why Jesus' words is truth. And that's why Jesus' words is a revelation. Because it flies within the face of the wisdom that the world offers us. And the proof is in the pudding. I was always amazed, not only in my personal life, but the example that I always refer to is I was involved in Year of Your Life for many, many years. And so on the program, you have students in various different places in their lives, you know, with various different challenges. And there are many different experiences throughout the year that is meaningful for them. But I can tell you now, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, One of the most meaningful experiences for nearly all the students year on year 
was when they went on outreach and were placed in a situation that demanded them to sacrifice something of themselves for the sake of another. And it was amazing for me how these young people would come back from these outreaches where they lived these words of Jesus. And they were so clear about their life purpose. And they were so clear about who God is. And they were so clear about what life was about. And then they would come back, you know, to, to the environment, the social environment, and phones and movies. And then I'd meet them at the end of the year, and that person that came back from outreach, all of a sudden is a bit confused. And I asked myself, how did they lose themselves between outreach and now? Is it because they went back to the self-help program, but experienced the Christ program when they were giving of themselves for the sake of another? The triangle is up, in, and out. I wonder if you're struggling with the up and the in. Whether it is because you're not getting what Jesus is saying. He says, out will bring you in. And down will take you up. It's paradoxical. It's crazy. I want to continue with the scripture. What could you ever trade for your soul? And this was what Jesus says. If any of you are embarrassed over me and the way I am leading you when you get around your fickle and unfocused friends, know that you will be an even greater embarrassment to the Son of Man when He arrives in all the splendor of God His Father with an army of holy angels. When was the last time you got embarrassed for Jesus? I remember going home when I was a year of your life, and year of your life, a teach, year of your life teaches some biblical but very interesting things on romantic relationship. Um, and, I, and I remember going home and telling my friends that this is now my stance. You know, I've taken sort of like a vow of celibacy, and I'm not interested in any romantic relationship. And then later when I had a girlfriend, you know, I told them, no, we only hold hand and kiss on the cheek. I remember my friends looking at me in a way they had never looked at me before. Like, is everything okay with you? <laughs> that program you're going to, it's not some sort of cult, eh? You guys don't slaughter goats or chickens or anything. like. It's all kosher, eh? eh? You know, and, and I just having that sense that of, of embarrassment, but for the sake of Christ. And even when I was in recent experience, I was working outside the church for about two and a half years. It happened several times where I was talking about Christ's ways, but people don't get it because they don't know Christ. Sorry, that was a badly timed pause. My apologies. Um, so, so that's a very, very important thing to consider. Do you understand Jesus' paradoxical sayings? Are you embodying them? Could you explain it to somebody else? 
And when was the last time you were embarrassed for Jesus? I'm not saying it must happen, happen every week. I'm not saying it must happen every day. I'm not saying it must happen every month. But, but it's like once a year, all right? And you, you mustn't even seek it out. The thing is, it will find you when you live like Jesus. It's as simple as that. You don't have to look for the opportunity. Just live like Jesus and there will be plenty of opportunities. Let's spend some more time in Scripture. Mark 10, 17 to 31. Now, in this portion, I'm just going to read the last portion of the Scripture. But this Scripture um, is the story of the rich young ruler. I'm sure you guys all know your Bibles off by heart. Of course you do. Um, the rich young ruler, you know the story, that comes to Jesus and asks Jesus a few questions. He says, Jesus, how do I attain eternal life? What is eternal life about? And Jesus goes, have you obeyed the following commandments? You know, do not lie, do not covet, honor your father and mother, do not sin. And, and the young man says, yes, I've done it since I was a little boy. Hallelujah. And then seeking justification, seeking to, to exhaust Jesus' answers. So he wanted to ask, he wanted to hear Jesus say after he asked the question, is there anything else I lack? He wanted Jesus to say, no. You're shanana. You're good. You know, I would have left right there, but he wanted a little bit more from Jesus. And so Jesus gave him a bit of extra, as he always does. And so then what does Jesus tell him? He says, sell all your goods and come follow me. And we all know how the story ends. And the young man went away downcast because he had many things. I'd like to think of that statement a little bit differently. I'd like to think it should have gone, there were many things that had the young man. Because his identity was situated in that place. And the scripture that Jesus spoke about just now comes true. What will happen when you gain the whole world, but you lose your soul? What has got you? If you had an interaction with Jesus today, what would make you walk away downcast? And the scripture would read, and Darby walked away downcast because... He was too in love with, or he was too, or he was too focused. What's the thing that has a greater hold on you than Jesus? Because there's always things in our life that vie for Jesus' attention. And Jesus then speaks about a little bit about how a camel, you know, how hard it is for, for rich people to, to, to come to God, but it's not impossible because nothing is impossible for God. But I want to focus on this last little passage where Peter and the disciples sees this whole exchange between Jesus and the rich young ruler, and they go, yo, 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 okay, this is, this is it. I hope you know why. So the disciples expected Jesus to restore the kingdom of Israel in the same way it was in the days of David. 
So the disciples literally thought that they would within their lifetime be powerful rulers in the real world. Are guys with me? And this is always so fascinating for me about Scripture. One of the things that I came to realize when I started reading my own, own Bible, well, my Bible, you know, I realized that one of our greatest dangers is making Jesus what we want Him to be instead of allowing Jesus to be. We project our expectations and desires upon Jesus and we contort Him into our image. Into what we want from Jesus. Because I tell you now, depending on what you want from Jesus, it has a lot to say of how you see Him. We have a significant impact over how we see Jesus. That's why I'm continually challenging myself to say, Lord, help me see you clearly. Because I know my wants and my desires and my realities are continually narrowing my focus sometimes in an unhealthy way. So Peter asked the following question. Then Peter spoke up. We have left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with See how Jesus just works it in there. Don't don't miss it. Don't miss it. Along with persecutions. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And in the age to come, eternal life. And Jesus throws a little, another paradox. But many who are first will be lost. And the lost first. What's... What's the last thing you left behind for Jesus? If I had to give you the mic to come and tell us a story, how would it sound? If your friend at work again asked you, are you still living at home? Jesus says, some of you leave mothers and sisters and brothers and fathers and houses. And you go, yeah, of course I am. It's cheaper, man. <laughs> what do you mean? But, but I, came to, I came to realize that the only thing that I left behind for Jesus were the things that were readily messing up my life. Booze, loose sexual relationships. And I went, oh, that's bad for me. That's good. I'm very glad I left those behind. But those are not the things Jesus talked about here. It could look completely different for you. But you know what Jesus asked the rich young ruler to leave behind? Is his wealth. And the rich young ruler couldn't. I wonder what, if there's anything you can't leave behind. 
I can think of a few things I'd struggle to leave behind. Certainly. The problem is not that you can't think about something that would be hard for you to leave behind. The problem is, is that you don't realize what awaits you when you do leave it. The problem is not that we can't think about something that in requires self-denial and self-sacrifice. It's that we don't understand the mystical and spiritual reality of the truth that comes to life when you take that step of faith on a daily basis. And I can tell you now, it is not necessarily going to get any easier 10 years down the line. Self-sacrifice is going to be as hard for you today as it will be 10 years down the line. Because that's when it's valuable. But you will determine which formula you will follow. And you will determine which rewards you pursue in this life. And there are two formulas in our lives to gain reward. And those rewards differ completely. I wonder what your mind is drawn to the most. I wonder where your thoughts dwell. I wonder what you worry about in a week. If it's the things of this world, then that's where your rewards will be. But if it's the things beyond this world, then that's where your rewards will be. And that's the crazy thing about Christianity. Is that we are crazy when we stand in Christ. Because it's only in Christ that we can reconcile the paradoxical nature of our world. There are many things in my life that I can't reconcile. I can't bring the two realities together. If you take an accurate look at the world, you will see terrible pain and suffering like you cannot imagine it. All over the world, every day in South Africa, stuff that will give us sleepless nights. But then if you look again, you can see the most beautiful, amazing love between people. You can see art. You can hear music. You can eat great food and have an amazing time. How do we live in a world that is both so ugly and so beautiful at the same time. Have you wondered about that paradoxical reality where we live in? Now, do we live with this desperate hope that I hope the suffering is just not going to arrive on my door? For me, in my reality, there's some very real suffering I can't turn my eye away from where before I was very unconcerned with it, to a certain extent. But as this reality confronts me, this suffering and beauty, 
the only place I can exist is in Christ. The paradoxes of our world and the paradoxes of Christ's sayings are reconciled in Him. And they are paradoxical in nature. And they are about suffering and they are about losing yourself. Because in order for Christ to live, you have to die. And we don't want to die. We don't want to die that spiritual death. We fight that spiritual death with everything we have. And we don't know why we're not experiencing breakthrough in life. It's because the old self is still alive and you don't want to let him die. Because if you follow Jesus' paradoxical sayings, then the old self dies. And when he dies, Christ lives in you. In a miraculous, mysterious way that does not diminish your identity, your person, your dreams, and your desires in any way, but instead amplifies them and clarifies them for you in a way they were not before. We are so afraid that Jesus' formula is going to lead to us being more lost and confused than we ever were before. But yet, when we observe it in life, we see exactly what Jesus says on the opposite end happens day after day after day in our life. Where people pursue money, wealth, power, love, and all of those things, and they end up losing themselves. Why don't you try Jesus' way for a couple of months? Why don't you try dying in the next six months? And then report back to us. Spiritually, I mean. Okay? Spiritually. Spiritually. Okay. So, those are the thoughts that I wanted to leave with you tonight. Firstly, Jesus is not who you think He is. He is so, so much more. Jesus says some crazy things. And up in an out triangle is intricately connected. And we can see the intricacy of their connections in the very sayings of Jesus. And if you want to do the up in and out well, then you need to embrace Jesus' formula for life. And root out the world's strategy and formula for life. And when you pray next time, you say, Lord, give me the courage to lose myself for your sake. Show me where I must lose myself for your sake. And see what happens. Take a gamble. Try it out. I dare you. Try it out. Because for me, I could have spoken tonight all about how there are so many things in our world that need attention. And it is a depressingly long list. And the few ministries that God touched on tonight all focus on those areas. And I could have made you feel terribly guilty about how little you are actually doing for God's kingdom. But I found that that is a very ineffective strategy for motivating people. But if you focus on the up, in, and out, you will realize that you can't lose yourself 
just by focusing on the end. You have to go out in order to lose yourself. You have to go up in order to lose yourself. And by going up, in and out, you discover your true self. I'm very excited about discovering my true self, and I enjoy every moment. It's not necessarily always emotionally pleasurable, but there is something mystical and supernatural that I can't necessarily put into words that happens when I die and Christ lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very, very much that you have revealed your ways to us, Lord. That Jesus came and ministered his love and his kingdom to us. That we can behold your beauty and be enamored by your love, Lord. And that from that place, Lord, from that place of strength and intimacy, Lord, we can seek to live out your teaching, Lord. And no matter what our skin color is, no matter what our background is, Lord, if we live out your formula for life, your teaching, your wisdom, we will change everything around us. And in that process, discover who we are in you. So I pray for courage, Lord, in each and every heart, Lord. Whether it is a small thing or whether it is a big thing, Lord, won't you give our hearts courage to lose ourselves for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.